You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we are back again. How's everybody doing out there? Hopefully you guys are surviving spring fever. That's right, spring has sprung all across this country. You know, so much so, folks in Colorado got snow today. That's how much spring has sprung. So it's just crazy right now. But, you know, it's a great time of the year. Everything's refreshed, renewed. And speaking of renewed, we are looking at the 10th anniversary of a truly unique movie that came out of nowhere called Attack the Block. It was really, you know, nobody was expecting it to hit the way it did. And it was critically acclaimed. And it should be a lot of fun to talk about it. I had saw it recently, and you know, I saw it when it first came out at the movies. But I had not heard about it. A friend of mine told me to go see it, so it should be interesting to talk about and everything. We've got a great crew here to talk about it tonight. Of course, speaking of my mate, I would have if aliens attacked our block, it would be Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! That that would, by the way, would not go over well. Uh, you you'd be better off just, uh, yeah, just just surrendering. Just surrendering right there, right now. Yeah. I don't I don't want to become dog food or black bear food or whatever those <laughs> things were. <laughs> yeah, wasn't uh, that, yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. No, 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 no. And it was interesting because we had some, you know lesser known actors at the time in the movie who have gone out into big and bigger things both of them fighting aliens even yeah the uh yeah well three of them you know three out of the three uh of the uh, stars have gone and that's that's the cool thing about this movie i mean here it has been 10 years ago and who knew that like these people uh like you know at least three of the actors were going to go on and be like big sci-fi characters you know Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. So I thought it was pretty awesome. And so we'll talk all about that in a few. We don't want to start getting into the discussion now. But it was a lot of fun. And, you know, hopefully you guys have seen it and enjoyed it. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. Let us know what you guys thought on the movie. We definitely would love to hear that. Also, if you get a chance, you know, please subscribe to our show. We're available wherever fine podcasts are found. You know, our show is up there, too, with all the big boys. So, you know, as we like to say, Earth Station One, we have been doing this for over 11 years now. So we're into our second decade. Hopefully some people know about us. Obviously, some people are listening. So we'll see. So hopefully you tell your friends, tell your geek neighbors. As we like to say, it's by geeks for geeks. And so it should be a lot of fun. Also wanted to give a shout out to our Patreon people. That's right. We have an ESO Network Patreon. And folks, you can listen to the show 48 hours before the rest of the world does. And a lot of times we give you bonus material. Our friends over at the Watchathon for Thrasalon are about to post a new podcast up there that is exclusive just to patrons. So check it out. And we also have an exclusive podcast called ESO Board Silly. You know, 
it is what it sounds like, folks. And a new episode of that is going to be going up in the next week or so. So definitely check that out also. So all you have to do for as little as 25 cents a week, go to patreon.com slash ESO network and help support us. We really would appreciate it. And we've actually gotten a few new people over the last month or so. And big thank you from all of us here at ESO network. And Earth Station One is a proud member of that. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash ESO network. Also, before we get out of here, I am wearing my brand new Tifosi sunglasses. That's right, folks. Tifosi Optics is the sponsor of the show, and Tifosi Optics got me blue light glasses. That's right. So this these glasses I am wearing right now, not sunglasses. They are blue light blocking glasses, and they're pretty darn awesome. I've been getting headaches a lot lately from sitting in front of the computer since I'm working from home now, and... The friends at Tifosi Optics, uh, our friend Grundy and such, had let me know that Tifosi Optics now has blue light blocking glasses, and it helps immensely, and it is really awesome. But you can get really cool custom-made sunglasses with colors in it there, too, and you could also get uh, safety goggles, and you could also get uh, face shields for, you know, if you're in the field, you know, trying to protect yourself from COVID. It's pretty awesome. And if you put in Earth Station 1 into the coupon code, you get 10% off your order. Some of our friends have been ordering. So thank you, thank you from the bottom of our heart, from the bottom of Tifosi Optics' heart. Thank you very much. All you have to do, go to FosiOptics.com. And now we're here with our new friend of the show. Let's welcome Bruce Starr. Welcome, sir. Hey, great to be here with you guys. I'm looking forward to chatting with you and uh, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the station. Um, for those people who may not be familiar with you and your show, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. For the last couple of years, I've uh, been interviewing uh, headlining stand-up comedians who became pretty famous in the 80s, out in Hollywood, mostly at the Improv and the Comedy Store. And a lot of guys that came in and out of New York Improv and catch a rising star in the comedy strip uh i just got really lucky uh 40 years ago because i wanted to be in show business i drove out from boston and i said i want to be in show business and my buddy uh picked me up and and brought me over to the improv on melrose in hollywood and he said you want to be in the business go in here go talk to these couple of comedians that i know and that'll get you started. And that's actually what I did for the next several years. Almost every night was sitting with the comedians, getting to know them before they were household names, sitting with them before they went into the big room to perform, going into the big room with them, watching them, seeing everything about them, and then hanging out with them after they came off. And before you knew it, they were shooting a show called Evening at the Improv. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Evening at the Improv. Everything exploded after that. All the hard work that the comedians put in in the middle to late 70s, they all of a sudden had an outlet. Evening at the Improv started uh, tele being televised all over the country and eventually over A&E. And then all of a sudden, everybody wanted to have a comedy club in their town. And something interesting happened for me. Uh, the comedians who had big-time agents, they didn't want to make calls to get them two or $3,000 a 
weekend jobs. And they didn't want to make the calls because it's kind of embarrassing for the comedians right. themselves to, to make those calls, and, you know, beg for money and beg for work. So I said, I'd do it. And it was, it just fit a perfect niche. And before you knew it, I had 35 comedians who I'd become friendly with and just, you know, innocently became friendly with. And I was at the right time at the right place. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a huge boon for uh, the stand-up comedy era was is that late seventies, eighties period. Uh, that must have been amazing to be around uh, those folks at that time. That's just so many, so much talent came out of there. And uh, and you said you were from Boston. I'm from Massachusetts myself. Um, tons of great comedians came out of Boston at that time. Oh yeah, I, I recently had Don Gavin on my oh, show. Nice. I, I haven't told you about the '80s golden age of comedy yet. So I'll go into that, and then we'll get back to Don. Uh, f- Forty years later, I the, some of the comedians started writing books and i said you know maybe they'll let me interview them if i if they know that i can promote their book and they started interview they started accepting my invitation to do interviews and i had on a guy uh one guy and then the next girl and he suggested uh willie tyler and lester you guys know who willie tyler and lester is the, I know the name yeah the, the black ventrilo was he he started all that Oh, oh yeah, right. I yes, yes. Okay. I remember them from the '70s shows and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to they used to pop up all the time. Right, right. He came on the show, and from then on, whenever I said, "Yeah, I had Willie Tyler and Lester on the show," and I had this one. That's great. Oh, hey, and all of a sudden, here we are, two years later, and I've done over forty uh, one-hour Zoom video interviews with some of the biggest talents in the business and then i'm thinking to myself what do i do with this then it came to me all the guys kept saying i wish i was out working i'm not out working i'm not out making money and because i already had experience with them i said well you know how about if i make i get back into making calls for you guys under the the uh, umbrella of 80s golden age of comedy everybody loved the idea and that's where I'm spending a lot of my, my time now, setting up these comedians that I interviewed. They know me for 40 years. They trust me. So now I'm making calls all around the country, setting up uh, 80s golden age of comedy tours. Nice. They, uh, I would imagine that, well, obviously over the last year, year and a half, things have kind of gotten to a standstill. But uh, I did kind of sense before that that sort of stand up again, you know, it's like a it's like a cycle, right? It seemed like it was coming back a little bit. Well, you know, I, I have to be perfectly honest with you. I'm an expert at the 80s, but I left the business after that. Mm-hmm. And because when I did go out to a comedy club after that, there was no way the local talent could com- entertain the way I was used to sitting with, whether it was Jerry Seinfeld or Paul Reiser or... Bobby Slayton, whoever it was, I, I stopped going to comedy clubs and I lost total interest in it because the younger guys just really, for me, weren't as entertaining, weren't as funny. So I don't know anything about the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, just in the last couple of years again, getting back together with these headliners is, again, where my expertise is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So um, let's talk about the Boston connection. Oh, oh, Don Gavin. Uh, about a month ago, I went to a uh, a restaurant in Boca Raton, Florida, and I went upstairs, and they had like this, like a, a dining area where they maybe had parties, private parties. So there was enough for like sixty or seventy people. And my friend Bruce Smirnoff, who I knew forty years ago at the Improv. A lot of comedians are moving to South Florida, boys. A lot of people are getting smart, moving to a freer state, beautiful state, clean state, safe state, uh, an open state. And I went to see Bruce and this older fellow, Don. I said, who's that older fellow, Don? And I went to see a guy named Rich Minervini, and I went to see uh, a guy, another guy. And it's funny, I walked into the back room with them because I knew Bruce, and I'm sitting with the guys, and there's sort of younger guys, uh, 50s, 40s, maybe a couple of 60s. I know Bruce Smirnoff is a little bit older. And there's this older guy. He's not saying a word. He's sitting in the room. I don't know him. He's not saying a word. I have no idea who the guy is. So it was time for the show to start, and I wasn't about to ask him, and he wasn't saying hello to me. It's time for the show to start. And I go outside to watch the show. And like the third comic on is Don Gavin. Well, holy SH something T. <laughs> oh my God, this guy killed. He was so funny. And then I find out that he's like the godfather of Boston comedy. And I'm going, oh my God, this guy is brilliant. So since then, I've had a chance to sit with him, talk to him, interview him. A fascinating interview to learn about the Boston guys. I grew up in New York, but I went to Northeastern all throughout the 70s, and I and I left for L.A. in 81. So I'm, I am from Boston. Ten years, a pretty good amount of time. Yeah, yeah. But I miss Don completely because I didn't know what was going on in 79 or 80 when they were just getting started. But, oh, my God, what a great time I had with Don. And we've become friends. and. I, I know he's going to be one of the guys that I can uh, book around the country. Yeah. Yeah. For our listeners, man, if you don't know Don Gavin, look him up. Um, people might be familiar with that. Dr. Katz professional therapist show. That was all Don. Um, he is, you, you said, yeah, you said it. He's like, he's at the forefront of Boston comedy for a while. If it's not for Don, I don't know if we have guys like Lenny Clark and all of that, you know, like he's he's, Sweeney. And, yes. all those, and even Steve Wright, you know, Steve, Stephen Wright came out of, uh, hold on. Stephen Wright came out of Boston. And I, I'll tell you an interesting story that Don told me in the interview. By the mm-hmm. way, to check out 80s Golden Age of Comedy, 80s Golden Age of Comedy.com. I've got 40 interviews with the, the, the incredible top talents in the world of comedy. And you're going to binge on this stuff because the information I'm getting is unbelievable. So Don told me that one night, see, the the thing is about Boston comedy. It was a couple of steps removed from New York comedy. If you were in New York, there was a chance that Saturday Night Live can find you, the producers, some of the TV shows, some of the news channels can find you, right? Maybe put you on the air in the morning or put you on SNL as a guest. Not so in Boston. They didn't have that yet. And one day, the uh, 
the head of the, the the guy from the Tonight Show, Don. I can't think of his name right now. He booked all the comedians on the Tonight Show, and he was down in the Cape, and he said he was going to come up to Boston. Would they put together a showcase for him? And they did. They put together like four or five guys. He says, all I want is four or five guys. And Don Gavin put on six or seven. And the last guy to go on was this really quiet, shy guy named Stephen Wright. Ah, so amazing. He picked Stephen Wright out of all the Boston comics. A week later, he was on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show and just killed. And he did so well. They asked him to stay in L.A. and they had him on again a week later. Yeah, right was right was right is amazing. Yeah, uh, you know, but way before, long before, uh, folks were doing those like you know short little jokes on Twitter and everything. That's what that's what Wright was doing like thirty years ago. <laughs> very dry humor, very yeah. straight face. You're yep. gonna you're not gonna crack up because he's smiling because he didn't. He just they, they... stood there, <laughs> stared at you, and dared you to understand what he was saying. They're like fast punches to the to the funny bone. They were just yeah. really great. Yeah, yeah, awesome. awesome. Unlike unlike the other guys in Boston who were you know kind of drunks and just having the wildest brawly time with the audiences and just you know just challenging people in the audience. I mean, different kinds of humor and comedy came out of Boston. Well, yeah, I knew like absolutely. people like Mark Marin and stuff got their start in Boston. Then back in the day, Jay Leno started in strip clubs in Boston a long time ago, probably in the early to mid seventies. He started strip club. He 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 did comedy in places that had they weren't called comedy anything. He just would go anywhere they would let him get on a stage, whether it's a bar or someone played a guitar there. He just got on anywhere that they would let him get on, and he's the one that really started giving people the idea hey Bruce we're starting to lose you dude oh no you're kidding oh, there, there you're oh, back no, yeah, you're back. back oh so, shoot you, you started to fade a little bit place. I'm not moving that's okay so, we understand it's okay. it's that it's the Disney problem no yes it is <laughs> I'm gonna complain to Mickey because she's screwing up my interview <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, listeners. It's Mike here. Sorry about the quality of the audio in our interview there. Right after that portion of the interview, we actually did lose Bruce in the call. So sorry about that. We'll have him back on the show some other time. But be sure to check out his site and we'll have it all up in the show notes. But right now, let's take a quick break and we will be back with Attack the Block. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Hope everybody is enjoying the Falcon and the Winter Soldier Marvel show over on Disney+, Plus, especially as we wind down to the end of that series. And speaking of Marvel, on the day I'm recording this, they just dropped the trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and it looks super awesome. 
I am really excited about this next stage of the MCU and everything we've seen so far. Just because Infinity War and Endgame was such a great wrap-up of what we saw before. But I didn't want to see them just kind of keep rehashing old hits as it were. And I'm excited to see stuff like WandaVision, uh, Shang-Chi, The Eternals really pushing into the universe, exploring new characters, seeing new storylines and settings, and I'm super hyped for that. Can't wait to see the trailer for The Eternals when that eventually comes out. Something new on streaming that I'm looking forward to this week is the new Netflix series Shadow and Bone, which is based on the novels of the same name. And this is sort of a fantasy series, sort of inspired by Russian culture mythology. And I've read books by the author. It's really cool. The trailer looks great. So I would highly recommend you to check that out on Netflix. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog on the ESO Podcast website. Dragon Con 2021 is scheduled for Labor Day weekend, and whether it's an in-person event or once again goes virtual, the Dragon Con Report podcast crew will cover the con right up to the big event. So sit back with your bucket of rum, dragon's mead, apple pie, or whatever your beverage of choice, and tune in to the latest news, notes, interviews, discussions, and even a dragon tale or two on the Dragon Con Report, a proud member of the ESO Network. Check us out at dragonconreport.com. She's hitherto unknown to science. He kicked his head in. <laughs> Yo, check it. More. More what? Them things. Lovely fireworks. Mommy, it's an invasion. Of course it is. I'm killing them. I'm killing them straight. Let's get tool up, blood. They're quite sweet, really, aren't they? That looks triple the size. Right now, I feel like going home, locking my door, and playing FIFA. What were those things? Thinking probably alien. What kind of alien would invade some council estate in South London? I'm just looking for a fight. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Sorry about the driving. I'm getting lessons for Christmas. Got no credit. Got one text left. This is too much madness to explain in one text. Call the police. You'd be better off calling the Ghostbusters, love. Yeah, what's wrong with you, man? You got two. Jesus, he looks about six. I'm nine and a half. <laughs> you need to get off the streets. Back in a block. Hey everyone, welcome back. And now we're going to say howdy to our fabulous sponsor, Inked Marketing. Inked Marketing's mission is to place your comic book business in the correct position in the marketplace for increased visibility and growth. 
They provide marketing solutions for comic book creators, artists, writers, shops, podcasters, and cosplayers. Come see what they can do for your Kickstarter or comic shop. Visit Inked Marketing and ask for a solutions guide. That's Inked Marketing. Thank you so much, Inked Marketing. It's a great organization, and thank you for being involved with Earth Station One. All right, folks, now it's time for the main topic. And, Mikey, we have the 10th anniversary of Attack the Block. Take it away. Yes, amazing. You know, we've got a, a Time Lord, an ex-Stormtrooper, uh, and a, a DC superhero all fighting aliens in this, uh, in this adventure from 10 years ago. Um, it's been pretty amazing to uh, think about that uh, 10 years ago that this movie came out. Uh, we've got some cool people to talk about it. Of course, it's a movie, so we've got one half of our movie crew. Alex Autry is here. Alex, welcome back. Always a pleasure. Do you enjoy your week off? <laughs> yeah it's been ever so long since i was last here uh and we also have with us uh channing channing sherman hey welcome to the earth station one you've been on our dragon con report episode uh, show a couple times but i think this is the first time you've uh visited the mothership so to speak yes happy to be on board the mothership although i'm upset because you took my joke about it being Finn the Doctor and Firestorm <laughs> fighting aliens like that that you know forget in game that is the crossover <laughs> this is a this is an ultimate uh, it's a pre crossover crossover right yes. like cuz who knew who knew um but uh also written by the guy uh, uh directed and written by the guy who wrote Ant-Man so uh i know you've got all sorts of uh sci-fi tie-ins here um so um we'll get right to it but before we get involved with the our you know discussion of it uh in detail the movie itself can we talk about the box office a little bit is there any box office to talk about because this movie came out like and it i don't know did it make any impact when it in theater uh, uh, uh not as much as you would think um it for for domestic box office it, it did a uh, a staggering uh, $1,024,175. Wow. Yes, this would be one-sixth of its total box office worldwide for a worldwide box office of $6,459,183. Uh, this movie did not do well. What was the total budget on the movie, do you know? Uh, yeah, I'm tr- um, the big thing for this, though, was that uh, it, uh, the budget was uh, $13 million. <laughs> So uh, this movie did not make its money back. Um, and a lot of the budget, a, a big portion of the budget for this film actually came from the lottery. Really? Really? Yeah. 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 At the very beginning of it, it actually says, you know, the lottery paid for this. Wow. And I'm sure that a lot of people were like, well, that's how we're spending our money. Okay. <laughs> um, well, the critical response was solid. And this is a mm. film that, because uh, I don't actually, I don't remember seeing it uh, in the theaters. I didn't see it. In, I know I didn't see it in the theaters, but I don't even remember it being in the in the theater. I didn't hear about it until it was out, um, you know, for home release. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by then, it already had a reputation. A lot of people put it on their uh, best of 2011 list, including like guys like Quentin Tarantino and mm-hmm. other places. I mean, it had a lot of buzz to it. Um, and uh, so, and now, of course it's gotten like a huge reputation if for no other reason just because of 
you know, the actors, the young actors who were in this. And some of it is their first or second appearances ever, really early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they threw Nick Frost in it for, for just the heck of it. <laughs> well, there is a uh, there is a sort of Simon Pegg, uh, Edgar Wright, you know, connection with this movie a little bit yeah. too. I mean, it does kind of feel like like an Edgar Wright movie, or or um, you know, so it sort of it feels like that, doesn't it to you? Edgar, yeah. Edgar Wright was one of the producers. Yeah, yeah. so it has that feel. So to it's it. yeah, yeah. They were all kind of in that same little family of working together. Yeah, you know, they're all on the same island. It's a small island over there. Yeah, yeah and it's one of those rules you have to have, uh, if it's a British movie, you have to have Nick Frost or um, uh, the, the guy who played Bilbo, whose name escapes me at the moment. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman, thank you. Um, it's, it's like a rule, you, yeah. you know, if it's, if it's an all-British cast, you have to have one of them in it. Uh, otherwise, the economy falls apart. So, yeah. uh, so Channing, what about you? When when did you when you first when were you first aware of this movie? When did you first see it? What were your um, you know thoughts about it then? Well, I was kind of like you. I remember it hitting theaters, and I do remember thinking, okay, this seems like it could be good, but never saw it in theaters. But then I remember seeing it on some people's list, and somebody saying, "You got to see this. You got to see this." And I want to say when it hit HBO. I saw it because I don't remember if it ever, I'm sure it made it to Netflix at some point, but I think I saw it on HBO. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, again, I didn't know who these actors were because it was pretty much their first big movie for a couple of people. Um, I did love the use of practical effects. Yes. And when I, when I did a rewatch, um, Joe Cornish, the director, that was his first movie. And he mentioned that he kind of wanted to do what some other big directors did for their first movie. They didn't have a budget. So they were forced to use a lot of practical effects on things. And I I think he did a good job of that. I mean, you said the budget was $13 million. That's a drop in the bucket nowadays when you're making a movie. I mean, you could drop $13 million just on salaries, depending on the cast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he definitely got a lot of bang for his buck um, out of it. You could do that, or you could do two Robert Rodriguez films. <laughs> you could do one half of a Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, so like thirty minutes of Avengers. We're thinking. Exactly. <laughs> I don't even know. Maybe I don't even. No, know you either. can't pay for the rights to that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now that that that's it right out. Uh, Alex, what about you? What's your history with the movie? So um, one of the big things for this is uh, again, you know, being a, a Star Wars fan. Uh, was I remember the announcement of John Boyega being uh, cast for for uh, uh, The Force Awakens. And the big statement on it was, this is the breakout star from Attack the Block. Mm. And which prompted me to go, what is Attack the Block? Mm. Uh, which caused me to kind of search it out. And um, so, I mean, that's how I heard about it. Like, I don't remember anything about it in theaters, uh, you know, Pretty sure I watched a, uh, a a trailer for it and was like, oh, okay, so it's a sci-fi thing. Uh, cool. Uh, uh, but I just remember a lot of people like Boyegas and Star Wars after doing Attack the Block. That's going to be amazing. And I'm like, all right, cool. So, um, but yeah, I'll be honest with you. Like, like this one didn't catch me on HBO. This one didn't catch me in the theaters. I watched it on Sunday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw it for the first time Febu- in February. Okay. So, uh, and uh, I was like, wow, why have I waited so long? 
yeah yeah shame on me um mike what about you um i guess i was the only one who actually saw it early on that's yeah you're the only one that's yeah yeah, i I was the one person (laughs) i didn't i didn't see it in the movies because no i don't think it really even showed here in atlanta or anything but uh, i was at a friend's house up i think it was up in new york and he said you got to see this movie it is just awesome and he had it you know on blu-ray and Mm. we watched it and it it was awesome i hadn't not seen any of the actors at the time because i you know this is years before broad church or doctor who and this is years before star wars or fire the dcu Mm-hmm. You know, so this is, you know, before the Arrowverse. So I had no idea what any of these actors were and everything. And I thought it was okay. I wasn't thrilled with it. I wasn't in mm-hmm. love with it. Um, I think I fell more in love with it when I watched it on Friday because I knew then who all these people were oh, right. and, and everything. And it was like, oh, look at, she's not a blonde naturally. I'm shocked, <laughs> you know? So, you know, it's just, and it, but it was, it, it was fun. And it was a great old-time sci-fi movie. It wasn't whiz-bang Avengers, you know, all CGI, Iron Man, War of the Worlds, whatever. You know, it mm-hmm. it was just a basic sci-fi story. And it was great. And it was very down-to-earth. And I had forgotten part of it. That's how little mm-hmm. it left anything on my mind. And it was a lot of fun them shooting the fireworks and stuff into yeah. the hall. That was such an awesome scene. We'll, and we'll get into that. And, you know, let's, you know, start talking about this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I finally saw it, I was, uh, I, I loved it. Um, as far as, it's just got, I mean, we mentioned Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and, and the British mm-hmm. sort of uh, geeky comedic movement uh, from about 10 years ago. Um, but I also was reminded very much of like, you know, a very young, like Sam Raimi. It has that kind of energy to it. Um, you know, so, um, and I really appreciate that. And I was, I was kind of shocked to learn that, you know, Joe Cornish really hasn't gone on to do a lot more since then. I mean, he's directed a couple things, but, uh, you know, I, I'm like, wow, where, where's he been? Um, but, uh, Maybe it just took a lot out of him. <laughs> yeah, and it did I, take I'd like him to see him get another crack at something because you're right. He did a he did a really good job um, again on a limited budget. Yeah, well, I do know like uh, so he did do um, Man Who Would Be King. That was his most recent, uh, I think, the biggest movie uh, after he did. You know, he wrote a, he did the script for um, Ant Man. Um, I don't know if that was. I think that was with Edgar Wright though, and I you know when he was still involved. But um, but he's also uh, made the news recently because he is slated to uh, help bring Mark Millar's Starlight comic to the big screen. So that should be exciting. Starlight is, uh, if you guys don't know, it's a great comic that's uh, written by Mark Millar, um, who I normally don't like. But this this is a it's like an updated like what if story, like a, a Flash Gordon type character as he's gotten old and has kids and it has to go back to uh the universe that he was part of and all that kind of stuff it, it, it it's a really good good comic so if you haven't read it check it out and then i can't wait to see what uh cornish does with it on the big screen um but getting back to attack the block what uh i really like i said so i really like the energy of it what are some of the other things that uh you guys like about it uh channing we'll start with you what's some something else in this movie that 
that resonated with you? Um, a couple of things did, but one thing that really jumped out at me was part of kind of the making of the movie. Um, Cornish and a couple of other people, they wanted to have an authentic experience from kids. So they went to these different um, boys and girls clubs, whatever the British equivalent is, and they would kind of run their storyboards by them. It's like, hey, aliens are attacking. What would you kids do? How would you defend yourself? How would you get from point A to point B? So that's why you, you know, you kind of saw, okay, this uh, John Boyega's character just had a samurai sword. I think other ones were getting like baseball bats and everything or the fireworks. So they actually talked to real kids. And I also think it's hilarious. It just kind of shows you the difference between the time and the countries because I don't want to get political. But if you go ask a boys and girls club here in America, hey, aliens are coming. What would you do to arm yourself to fight them? They're going to say get a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's. That's true. There's only there's only yeah. one you know person uh, of the kids that have like uh, has a gun in this movie, and that's yeah, and that's it doesn't the, even work. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah, the, so, uh, the, uh, the the drug kid, you know, the drug lord, whatever. Yeah, um, but all jokes yeah. aside, I did like the the commitment to do that. It wasn't a case of you know older people trying to do the old hello fellow teens routine in the movie they actually went and talked to some to get an authentic experience yeah and they not just the experience but also the dialogue this isn't mm-hmm. like you know joe cornish who wrote the script as well and and thought you know pulled this together didn't sort of force like you know his his like white filtered lingo on them right i mean he mm-hmm. actually let them talk the way they talk and uh, I think that's why it really resonates as well. It just, uh, it feels, it does feel authentic. Uh, the way he shoots it, you know, it's not really, um, it's not handheld stuff like like they would use probably now. But it just feels like it's more realistic than um, like some of the other movies that we've seen. It's a less studio, right? Because it's actually on location. Yeah. Uh, so I think that helps as well. Um, mm-hmm. Alex, what about you? What's uh, something else from this movie that you like? You got to give credit to, to Tom Townen, uh, who was the cinematographer of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, as the director of cinematography for a movie that, one, features a lot of darkness uh, and features a lot of sequences that could very easily be overwhelmed by shadows. Um, we don't get that in this film. Um, there are shots in this film that just looks so amazing. And it turns out he actually worked on Pride and Prejudice. Of course. Um, so because, wait, wait, yeah, not Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Apparently not, no. Because uh, that would be too much. Um, you can have two, you can't have all three. Um, I'm focusing on Pride and Zombies, personally. But anyway, no, he, he worked, you know, he did other things. Uh, the scene in which um, uh, um, one of the boys is lost in the fog. In uh, with the firecracker font. Oh, that was just so amazing! That was yeah. awesome. So well, the cut shots on that is terrific. But the sequences uh, involving them on their bikes, uh, going down those small uh, rampways and everything, I thought that was exceptionally filmed. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the great things about this movie is that I was instantly in on the plot from the very first scene. Like, I was very interested in what was going to go on in this movie. 
uh, to the point where it wasn't until they showed the credits at the end that I realized that was Jodie Whittaker. Mm. So I'm sitting there watching this movie and at the end credits show up and I'm like, oh, it's Doctor Who. <laughs> the whole time I, I watched it this time, I was like waiting for her to pull the sonic screwdriver. You know, I, I, I legitimately got into it enough that seeing Boyega and seeing Nick Nick Frost took me out of the movie for a moment. I get that. And then I went, oh yeah, British film. Got it. Well, that's because so, he's got his long hair that they had in uh, yeah. uh, that he grew for that uh, that movie that's not so great. Uh, he grew. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but to your point, the, the darkness cinematography wise, yes, it's hard to shoot because it all takes place at night. Plus, because they're using practical effects on a budget, they don't really want to show the creatures that <laughs> detailed, right? But it adds to the mystery of it. It helps. It helps with the uh, the suspense of it all, right? The horror of it all, because you can't really. We don't get a good look at them for like half the movie. I don't think, right? And even then, yeah. it's really quick. Like there's still I, kind of a mystery as to what they look like. Yeah, I call that. Um, it's the Jaws effect. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, you've all heard the old story, you know, Jaws, you were supposed to see at the opening of the movie and the shark didn't work because they realized, oh, wait, we tested it in fresh water, but turns out it didn't work so well in salt water. Yeah. And yeah, but not showing that shark until the end just really increased the suspense and just made it that more dramatic. So I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, but yeah, the, the Jaws effect. There are a ton of great movies that leave the gore, uh, which I guess is the best way to put it, um, just off screen. So it lets your imagination determine what happened. We don't see a whole lot on screen in this film regarding that. And yet this movie is graphic in its violence. Oh, extremely so. Like the um, one scene where that one kid had the motorcycle helmet on. Yes. And you heard the crunching. You didn't see it. You didn't. No. But you you heard it, and your imagination was like, oh, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. He's not coming yeah. back from that. No. Yeah. He's, he's not going to be an attack the block, too. Yeah. No. Uh, in fact, the most graphic death in the entire thing is hi-hats. Yeah, um, because we we literally see his his face torn off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that's that's just like you just kind of sit there and go, oh, his nose is missing, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that's going to stick with me for life. Okay, <laughs> you know, um, I won't be sleeping yeah, tonight. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's I'm fine. Good. Don't worry. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I think the the way that the movie was shot just really it's a case where the camera becomes as much a cast member as everybody else mm-hmm. yeah good call yeah it was interesting because this movie the main characters weren't good guys they no they, they were thugs no they, i mean we see them terrorizing a woman like in the yeah. first like five minutes yeah. right and i mean if, that's how we're introduced to them I almost, yeah. I almost fully expected they were going to rape her or something if that if the asteroid didn't hit the car to distract them and everything and the you know and then they found the the first alien but i thought you know she was i thought they were going to do some really nasty stuff to her 
and then for them to come back at the at the later in the movie oh if we knew you were from our building we wouldn't have done that and it's just like yeah it's just like really no these these are not good kids you know or this is not the cast of et or something like that <laughs> you know this is but there's but they're also scripted as as uh uh kids who are in a bad situation right who have already uh one of the lines uh in the movie is is you know they're gonna arrest us for what happened tonight they've already arrested us for nothing right mm-hmm. exactly so i mean these are kids of circumstance oh, yeah. their first impulse is not to call the cops Right, yeah, right, no. because they're that that's not how they roll. That's not like that's just going to mean no. trouble for them. Like, exactly. they, they know they have to take care of this themselves. These were, you know, these ki- these were anti police kids. You know, they knew what was going to happen. They they saw what was going to happen. You even saw it, you know, when she reported to the police, you know, that she had been mugged and you know, and they actually caught one of them and you know, they caught Moses and you know. That's when the first alien attacked the mm. police car, the police van, and that was a, an awesome scene in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything. And it, there were so many great scenes in this movie, and There's so many scenes where they're like, "We can only shoot. We have to get this on the first take." Literally, yeah, <laughs> oh, literally, yeah. yeah. There, <laughs> what? There literally was no downtime in this movie. This movie flew by. There was no time to get bored in this movie. It literally went literally from the the mugging scene on all the way to the very last scene. There was no real downtime because even when they had time to just, you know, reassess where they were at, like when they were in Jodie Whittaker's apartment, you know, and or when they were up in the girl's apartment up and everything. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just did not have any time at all to breathe and it it was pretty much real in real time mm-hmm. which was pretty awesome and that's you know this was very well done this was yeah the yeah. pacing is really great um mm-hmm. i also like the you know um the idea of it the premise is great in and of itself it's like mm-hmm. you know as soon as you know within the first 10 minutes i'm thinking okay this is i see the premise here it's like what if et had landed in in the hood right like it's just like and and before you know what these creatures are, when they're chasing it down and everything, I'm actually feeling like I'm actually feeling bad for the creature. I'm kind of going, oh, no, this is not going to like if this were E.T., like this, mm-hmm. this would not go well for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where did they find E.T.? They found him in a shed. Exactly. Oh, I'm right. like, that's not that's that's not a coincidence. <laughs> that's no, not- <laughs> no. There are a lot of great homages. Yeah. Uh, sprinkled in, yeah. yeah. And he said and, he. I guess uh, Joe said he was he was more inspired by signs. Like, what mm. if that? What if signs took place? You know, in an urban environment. Um, but I'm really surprised, even to this day, unless you unless you guys can and tell me different. I don't think this premise has been done. Like you would, getting to your point, I could see where some American filmmaker would be like, yeah, let's tell this story like ultra violently in an American setting with guns and everything. Like I could see where that would be uh, something that would be interesting to people, but yet I don't think it's, I don't think this kind of thing has ever been done since then. Nothing comes to mind. No. And I think one important fact is the boys weren't meant to be liked. Um, When I was doing my rewatch, there was something, a big fad in um, overseas, they called it hoodie horror. 
it was basically movies portraying, you know, youth or any kind of counterculture thing is thugs, basically. And so he kind of wanted to push back on that. So the idea that, yeah, they were doing bad things, but they were kids in a bad environment. In their mind, they were just doing what they had to do to survive. Um, and so I think that was kind of an interesting way to to show that. It's like, okay, it's a movie about them killing aliens, but let's try and get a little bit of a social commentary in there. Um, and I will say the when they were in Jodie Whittaker's apartment, she was patching up the boy's leg. It did have one of the most unintentionally funny moments to me because he's asking, so, uh, he's a, so uh, how do you like the neighborhood? I'm thinking about moving. Really? Why would you want to move? <laughs> you know, it's like the guys who just robbed her asking, "Why do you want to leave this neighborhood?" They've robbed her and invaded her home. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what's not to love? Well, what's not to love? It's a beautiful neighborhood. Yeah, we're all exactly. one big family. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do like the fact that you know these guys could have just been portrayed as delinquents throughout the whole thing, and then at the end, when even she finds out, oh, these are just teenagers um uh, yeah i thought that was a nice little addition well yeah the uh and yes if i think if that was the yeah if they would all set up as characters as sort of one note characters like hi-hats mm-hmm. then uh it would be different but you know they they are smart and they you know joe gives us a lot like moses is a pretty in-depth character i mean you know wonderfully played by a young john boyega um you know it's like you know i think I think his work in this is actually better than the Star Wars movies, to be honest with you. Um, because of the writing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and because uh, he's a guy like, yeah, you find out, the more you find out about him. And when we see, um, you know, uh, Dennis, right, get killed, it and it's a shock, you know. And Well, that's the other thing about this movie. Nobody's safe. Like, no, like, no, you no, know, no. even for a movie about kids and aliens, you know, like, it's, like you know, if this were done in the 80s, it would be have that, like, you know, the explorers feel to it, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, in Spielberg's movies, like, these kids wouldn't get killed. But in this, this is, a, this is not Spielberg movie, right? <laughs> this ain't Goonies, bro. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The fat kid's going to die. <laughs> well, you know, but you, you you make that statement, and you know, uh, even War of the Worlds, nobody dies. Yeah, hmm. true. Yeah, you know, the family is all together at the end somehow, mm-hmm. miles from where they all started. Um, <laughs> you 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 were mentioning about the the idea that you hadn't seen a movie uh, uh, like this, a concept like this. It's funny. I actually looked it up while while we were talking. Because the only thing that I can even come close to likening this to, and it's not anything similar, would be Cloverfield from 2008. Yes, very much so, actually. I did get that feel a little bit. There's a Cloverfield vibe to this movie because, one, we don't see the creatures through a lot of the film. Right. Or we get a glimpse of it. And then, you know, once we finally do an, oh, my gosh, I don't think those are eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was might awesome. be one of the best reveals ever. Oh, it was awesome that it was yeah. the teeth glowing. That yes. was so freaking awesome. Um, the bioluminescent uh, uh, teeth mm-hmm. uh, may have been. That is probably the greatest creature uh, uh, concept 
since the prehensile uh, jaw for Predator. That's high praise. Like visually, yeah. visually, that is how good that is. The uh, the shot of them climbing the the apartment yeah, complex, the building, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, is just frightening. <laughs> and honestly, because we're seeing it from from prob uh, probs and and mayhem, mm-hmm. two of the greatest characters of all time. Yes, um, they are. They're never going to call you mayhem if you keep acting like that. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> It's got to look even worse because they're tiny children. Yeah. And you have that moment where you're looking up from their point of view. Um, and I just, again, that goes back to the excellent cinematography. Oh, and it looked like there were hundreds of them climbing the building. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was like, oh, my God, these people are so dead. They are so, yeah. so dead. If this movie were made in the 80s, those two those two kids would be played by the two Corys. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> But can I just say I'm I'm the youngest of four kids, and there is a pretty decent age gap between my next closest brother and I in age. So I would have been mayhem. I would have been like the little one who wanted to go out and to be part of this group with these older kids. I totally would have been been mayhem. Um, I could relate to him. So I'm glad he got a big moment at the end there. Yeah, they actually. I was. <laughs> At one point, I was shocked because I'm like, wow, they've actually beaten one of these creatures, which is more than I could say for, like, anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it when they said, this is not water in that guy. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought, oh, it's urine. It has to be urine or something. Yeah. But no, it was, oh, that was awesome. That You know. The portable Molotov cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so Mike, uh, you know, from an Earth Station Who perspective, let's talk about Jody a little bit. Um, this is one of her first movies, although I think at the time, besides Nick Frost, uh, she was the the veteran of the cast. Uh, she was uh, sort of like the um, one with the most experience out of everybody, because uh, all the boys, uh, this was their very early on, first or second, very early uh, work, where she has had, I think, some work before this. I think she had a little bit, and it was neat to see Jody so young and everything, because this is even pre-Broadchurch. Oh, yeah. And pre-her doing uh, Black Mirror, pre, you know, all these different shows and things I've seen her in. But it was it was neat to see. She looked like a kid, too, herself, yeah. overall. And she portrayed the nursing student really well. And it was great to see her doing this. I think she forgave him way too quick. I really, I really, but she knew that basically she had no idea what was going on. And then when she saw the monster for the first time, she was like, okay, I'm sticking with these guys. You know, Mm -hmm. this is my only chance of surviving. And it was, it was really, she was awesome in this. And And uh, there there were a few times, yeah. Uh, so foreshadowing and things to come, uh, the door to Samantha's apartment is TARDIS blue. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. But, but, but her, par- her apartment is not bigger on the in- on the inside. So I uh, think the whole reason she wanted to hang out with them was because, again, they may have been, you know, rapscallions or rogues, whatever the good British term for them would be. But they knew how to survive. And, you know, sometimes when when the stuff hits the fan, 
you want a bad guy because you know a bad guy's gonna know how to survive in in certain situations. So you know, okay, you you robbed me, but you also saved my life. Eh. Yeah, exactly. The best of you know, it's like, well, she would become a. I don't know if she would have become a victim though, because they were only going at the monsters were only going after the boys because they had the blood. Yeah, That's they true. had the blood on them. And everything. That was, that was a great reveal yeah. too. Like, yeah. oh, why are they after them? Because yeah. you, you took out one of theirs. Yeah. It's actually mentioned at the beginning of the movie too. Is it? Really? Yep. The uh, when they're when they're hanging out uh, outside the weed room, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the second stoner uh, is uh, watching a nature documentary. Yep. And it talks about pheromones. Uh. <laughs> and the moment they said the pheromones, but I was like, oh. That's going to be a key. Yeah, that'll oh, yeah. come back around. Nothing's, exactly. no, nothing's thrown it, a chance in this movie. And it no, was awesome, it was, the black light. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah. how it showed up. It's like, hmm, you don't want to see that in some of their rooms right now, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. but that being said, we didn't see it on him the first time he was in the weed room. That's true. And he actually walked into that same area to get the uh, to get the, the uh, box. The mm-hmm. cigarettes. Yep. And yeah, that's tr- that's actually really true. That is true. Yeah. Okay, a MacGuffin right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I ruined the film for everybody. Oh wow! Worst movie ever made. And yeah, no. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, it's you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I liked how they did that. Um, the idea that you know they weren't going after the the girls in the apartment, right? Um, because they were, and they were specifically going, looking, looking for Moses. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause she makes, she makes specific point of that. There are a lot of times when, um, things that are done in the movie kind of spoon feed you the, uh, the, the overall, uh, story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel like it during the film. Um, if you caught the pheromone line at the beginning of the movie, and then you hit those other beats later on, you're like, oh, that's just confirming what I've already seen. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't catch that, then, you know, then then there's, you know, the opportunities later on for other things to make you go, wait, is there something on him? Because for a while, I thought it was the scratches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was I thought, I thought it was the scratches that was attracting them. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, when, when the thing said the pheromones can be spelled for over a mile, I was like, okay, but I still, I still thought it was fantastic. Yeah. That whole scene when they went to visit, um, the girl's apartment, Mm -hmm. I just love the fact that the, the first girl who was really being mean to them and saying, Hey, no, you can't come in here. And she listed this larger list of reasons of why, Hey, we don't know what you did. We don't know where you've been. We don't know. Blah, 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 blah. She was right. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. They oh, very listened. much so. <laughs> everything and everything she said was like they're going to cause trouble. Yeah, they're going to bring this to us. And yeah, she's one hundred percent right. <laughs> exactly, and it's crazy because it was she was exactly right, and that apartment was destroyed pretty much. Yeah, they're not getting their deposit back. No, not as not as bad as Moses was. <laughs> yeah, oh. Moses' apartment, little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> slightly slightly uh alex you mentioned uh the preppy stoner guy and uh yeah. so i'm watching this movie and uh you know 
I'm watching this in February and I'm, and I'm thinking, man, I've seen that guy before. I've seen that guy before. I've seen that guy before. Where have I seen him? And it, it clicked on me. I'm like, oh, he's the guy that played Victor Frankenstein in Penny Dreadful. Um, and okay. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, my God. Uh, you're I, right. I just realized that. Oh, But he's not. Uh, the guy no? who played the stone. Yeah, the guy. This is the amazing thing. The guy who played the stoner prep, who is a great actor. His name is Luke Treadaway. Well, he's got a twin brother, Harry Treadaway, who is also an actor who was who played Victor Frankenstein, among other things. Uh, but he was in Penny Dreadful as well, so he looked familiar because he was his twin brother. <laughs> um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So that's funny. Yeah, that's like, man, I know that guy. I know that guy. Click. I know where I know him from. No, I don't. It's just you know the twin thing. The twin thing gets you every time. Um, but they look, yeah, very much alike. Yeah, they are. They are identical twins. Um, anything else about Attack the Block? Like, you know, here it is, ten years later. Is that does this film have a? Would you say this film has a legacy? You know, with it. I, I will say for one thing, this movie has not aged poorly. Agreed. Um, yes, because of the fact that they, they they don't use a lot of. Um, at the time, modern technology, mm-hmm. like you're not seeing flip phones busting out. You're not seeing things like that. Yeah. Um, because this is not a neighborhood that would have them. Right. You know, um, these people are all using their phones. They're all smartphones, but they're using credit. Well, exactly. Uh, they're on to the get them. So they're, they're all on, they're all on the they're different all plans. On card phones yeah. um, because they can't afford otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was genius. Well, they're also uh, in a uh, game. together. Disposable phones are kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um I wouldn't know, Mike. Um Mike in his hood days. Um the uh, but yeah, I mean things like that. There it it's really I watched it on Sunday and had no inkling that this is a movie from 2011. Mm-hmm. I think you could put this in theaters today and nobody would go to it because the theaters are all still closed. Yeah. Um, but, but it would yeah. still make more money. Uh, no, it would <laughs> still make more money yeah, than yeah, it did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but maybe that's what it needed. Mm-hmm. It's, this movie has the same vibe to it uh, as far as its filmmaking as a Boondock Saints. This is not a movie that was going to be made to make a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. This was a movie released to tell a story and to show off cool monsters. Mm-hmm. And that's what we got. And I think it's just as easy to watch now mm-hmm. as I suspect it was back then. Yeah. And I, I think the movie holds up. And I think even the the social message of it holds up. You know, the whole don't judge a book by their cover. You know, people can be the product of their environment. I think, hell, maybe now more than ever. Um, Wouldn't it be it nice if up. that was dated? Yeah, exactly. Exa- yeah. Exactly. So, I, no, I think um, it's got legs. I, I will admit, I when you guys asked me to review it, I did have to go and do a rewatch. And it's one I would actually add to my DVD collection. There's a couple of movies I, I'm keeping my DVDs just because... I don't trust streaming services to keep them forever. And I'll probably go out and find a copy of this one to add to it. 
I, uh, I, the way I watched it in February is I, I, I still do the, the disc from uh, Netflix, uh, mm. which is called DVD.com now. Um, plug, <laughs> plug, I guess. But, um, uh, but they sent me the Blu-ray for this, and on it was um, bonus material, including a very detailed, almost video diary of the making of this movie, which I, if you like this movie, it's, it's worth watching because it goes through everything, the, uh, the development process, the casting process. Uh, it, it, the, the, they were making, I don't know. I guess he knew when he was making this, that somebody should document everything that happens with it, because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of shots and a lot of stuff that like, yeah, you don't even see on major movies now that they capture and if you're interested in filmmaking, it's a great behind the scenes look at uh, how an indie film uh, mm. is made, you know. A uh, friend of the station, Lacey Adderhall, uh, actually let me know that the bonus commentary is the entire cast. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, yeah. yeah. So everybody everybody's able to kind of talk about uh, their experience on it. Cool. So. Mike, what about you? Do you think, uh, you know, here it is 10 years later, does it still hold up? Very much so. Um, It definitely feels like it could be done today. There really isn't anything in this film to age it. And that's what was great about this movie. It feels like it could be done today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, social class is in some ways even worse today than it was 10 years ago. And... I think, you know, I think it would fit in really well. And probably if it was released today, it probably, like you guys have been saying, we get more views because mm-hmm. it touches home a lot more. And it was interesting because, you know, the movie takes place on Guy Fox night. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, with all the fireworks, that's why they were out and, you mm-hmm. know, yep. and everything. And it was it was just really really interesting, and that of course made me think about oh I got to watch V for Vendetta again. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is a different kind of Vendetta movie. Um, oh. I I I agree. I think it uh, you know when I watched it for the first time, uh, it didn't feel like it was a movie that was ten years old. Uh, it felt fresh. It still has that energy uh, to it um, because, as you mentioned, because the effects are practical. It, they don't have dated CG look to it. Um, uh, the suspense is still there. Um, I, and to your point, because, you know, even though it takes place in another country, because the the social, you know, aspects of this movie are still relevant, uh, mm. maybe even more so, um, I, I, and you know, I could almost see uh, there being a sequel of sorts, or, or I would like to see, like, john boyega's moses now you know like like what does that character look like now and and what is he going through now uh because back then you know obviously he was a kid uh, it'd be interesting to revisit that character i think uh especially Mm -hmm. for him because i think he does like i said such a good job and i'd love to see him act uh perform in more movies where he gets a chance to really act and and, yeah. and and show what he can do. What about you guys? Is a sequel, is it, you know, obviously it's not necessary. Uh, would you be interested or is like, no, no, this has got to be a one and done. I think it's one and done. One I really and done. do. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I we, we've gotten to see it. Plus since so many good characters were killed along the way. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't be as, I don't think it would be, I mean, we'd be at this point watching, you know, and seeing, 
mayhem as the leader of all the gangs. <laughs> um, Still with a super soaker, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, this would be it. Would be like doing a a, a, a sequel to ET at this point. Yeah, or the go- I, or the Goonies, or the Goonies, yeah. or Cloverfield. Oops. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm a firm believer that not every movie um, needs a sequel, and this one, yeah, let it stand on its own. Well, exactly. That, Moses would just probably be getting out of jail now anyway. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that's what I think more than, you know, that there's more. I don't I don't I'm not saying there's more story here to be told, but Mm -hmm. I think it's just because I want to see John Boyega in a really good role again. Yeah, uh, that I would like to see. And because he was so good in this character, I'm like, I would like to see that again. So so Hollywood uh, hire him for something else or maybe not Hollywood. Maybe he needs to go back to Britain. And and make some more British films. I think the next uh, Doctor. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. That would be that would be interesting. Um, I do have to touch on one thing though. Um, it seems like for the last four or five years, every year there's an actor, and then I and I learn about them. Wait, they're British? Like it was it was, it was Andrew Lincoln, <laughs> right? Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya um, way back, Idris Elba. There's always one guy. It's like, wait, that guy's British, and it's when I hear them talk in an interview. For this movie, it was uh, France. Dennis Firestorm. Oh right, yeah. yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Because when he was um, on Legends of Tomorrow, and honestly, when I saw him do interviews on Legends of Tomorrow, I never caught a hint of an accent. And it wasn't until I did the rewatch for this, I'm like, whoa, he's British British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's street British. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so he he's my one for this year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just get to the point now where I assume everybody is British when they're acting and mm-hmm. uh and then when they're when they're actually not, I'm like, Oh, okay, that's cool. There's um, a great SNL skit. Um Daniel Kaluuya um, another guy is playing Idris Elba, and then Keenan Thompson is playing um, Ice Cube. And so when they get to Ice Cube, Ice Cube just puts on this British accent. <laughs> and it, it's yeah, it's just hilarious. I encourage you to go watch it. I'm not <laughs> nice. doing it justice in this description. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, uh, thanks guys so much for for joining us. This has been uh, great to revisit this movie ten years later. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll be right back with. Uh, we're gonna get creative. in your neighborhood in your neighborhood in your neighborhood say who are the people in your neighborhood the people that you meet each day oh hi there little fella oh hey listen you know who you could be if i gave you dan clank here reporting for the eso network and earth station one at sc comic-con south carolina's premier comic book convention joined by Adam Weston, Sexy Thor of Thunder Talk and Ring of Thunder. Let's uh, let's go talk to some people. Let's go see how everyone's feeling, getting back into the groove of this whole comic book convention life. Speaking with Captain America today. How, how you doing, Cap? I'm doing pretty good today. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about your costume, what you got going on here. I'm actually dressed up as Infinity War Captain America. I worked hard on making the shield out of steel from an old she- uh, from an old sled I used to have. And it took a while to actually make and perfect, but I'm quite proud with how the shield turned out. 
Yeah, the field is badass. Yeah, thank you. I actually made a magnetic holder for it, but sadly it broke apart before I got here. Oh, uh, well, hey, it looks like you, you're working what you got. Yeah. So uh, do, you, do, you, do you go to conventions often? Uh, whenever I can. Whenever they open, I try to make my best to make the, my way to them. Okay, excellent. I've done, yeah, I've done uh, Thor cosplays quite a bit. Kind of slumming it a little bit right now because got to work in a little bit, but yeah, definitely have my fair share of Thor cosplays. <laughs> oh, I love that. So what's it like kind of jumping back into the convention scene after this, after the pandemic, after the lockdown and all that? Uh, I really love it. The hype is really great. I get to see a whole bunch of people dress up in cosplays. It's my favorite part. See, uh, interacting with new people and seeing how they're enjoying the art and craft of anime and comics and all, everybody coming together like-minded. It's really nice to be able to see all these new people out in Valley again. So six throwing out here in line at the Expo Cafe here at SC Comic Con at the what TV Convention Center? Yeah. Yeah. Now at first, when the con was announced, it was stated that uh, it's going to be pretty limited. Uh, there wouldn't be any real food services, but since the vaccine rollout has been so successful, they've lifted uh, a lot of those precautions. Oh yeah, and now we're just here in line grabbing some grub. I'm about to eat like a horse. Yes, yeah, yes you are. So these kind of things, these conventions, they don't happen in a vacuum. It takes a lot of people and a lot of hard work to make it happen, and we are here now with the, uh, the, the, the vendor, the cafe staff, here at SC Comic-Con at TD Convention Center. Uh, may I have your name, please? Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Well, good to meet you, Cleopatra. Nice to meet you, too. So what's uh, coming out of this whole funk, you know, with the COVID and all that, getting back into the uh, cafe services here at the con, what's, what's it been like kind of jumping back into all this? Um, it's been a little strenuous, but I can say with the cosplay and everything, you know, seeing the different cosplays come in, it has been very interesting. Um, being able to interact with the people again, it's been, that's the best part, I guess you can say. Very cool, very cool. Has, has it been busy? Yes, extremely busy, extremely. Right. So what kind of precautions have you all taken here to, you know, keep everyone safe and all that? Um, we have the plexiglass, we have our mask every time we... You know, leave out from behind here. We have to wash our hands, sanitize, and change gloves. Um, basically, with the numbers, we've started using the number system again so everybody that isn't crowded around and they can stand in their prospective areas. So it has been flowing pretty pretty well, pretty well. So it's doing good. Very cool, very cool. So it's kind of feeling like we're getting back into the whole swing of things, yeah? Yes, sir. Definitely, definitely. Well, hey, thank you for feeding all of us. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for coming. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Cleopatra. Nice to meet you. You too. I found him. Captain Kirk, Admiral Kirk, Dr. Crusher, Commander Crusher. People don't realize that Dr. Crusher held in the same rank as Riker. So, excellent. Commander Dr. Crusher. This is actually my first experience joining my family. This is my first cosplay experience. It's amazing. Your first time. Very cool. Very cool. So, but Captain and Admiral Kirk, you all been doing this for a minute. Well, actually, this is my first. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay, all right. And uh, and our son wanted to wanted to have the whole family go. Today, he's the original Kirk. Oh yeah, I decided go out with a last hurrah for this amazing convention. Why not go with something classic everybody can relate to? So I decided don the yellow and become the captain. So so you got mom and dad hooked on this. Oh yeah, it was uh, it's a great experience. I've been conning for about seven years now. So I've been to quite a few, but this is the first one I've been to where my parents came along. So you've been doing this for a minute? 
I have been. This, you know, a multi-state convention is really nice, and it kind of opens your eyes to really what it means to do a convention. You know, it's a great middle ground for people of all different walks of life, beliefs, whether they're religious, spiritual, political, or romantic. They all can just come together and relate to this one thing, and that is a chance to step out of your own skin for a day, lose track of reality, and just become something else and kind of live the dream. And it gives you the opportunity to meet your heroes in a way. Uh, you mind telling us a little bit about your cosplay? Um, I've been doing Gear and Arrow for two or three years now. Um, I've always enjoyed it. Uh, costume's a little warm. A little bit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's fun. Uh, he's probably one of my favorite superheroes that doesn't have powers. And Wonder Woman. Well, I've been cosplaying since 2016, um, right around when the first movie came out. Okay. And I saw Gal and I was like, wow, someone I look like. And right. so I just went with that. And actually, we're here with Pencil Portraits by Mel Rivera. Okay. So we come and we cosplay for him and, and his booth. Um, but as far as my costume goes, it's been bits and pieces from different Comic Cons that I've been to. So how does it feel to kind of get back out there again with, uh, with with your people, so to speak? Yes, it's been so good because I haven't been able to wear my outfit in a year and a half since <laughs> the last Comic Con, and you know, in South Carolina in two years. So I, I felt like I was breaking free. I've definitely missed the environment, right? And being able to hang out with all the fans and just just see everybody's reaction and everything. It's it's fun. Make it worth it to yeah, see their definitely. face is, is worth it all. Definitely, yeah. it's the kids. It's all about the kids. <laughs> all about the kids. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Inspiring little girls. So, so what are your thoughts on the uh, how how they're handling safety and uh, social distancing and all that? Yeah, everything seems a lot more spaced out than usual. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think they're doing a pretty good job. Oh yeah, very good job. All right, we are joined by Agatha, the Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. Such an honor to have you guys on the show. How are you doing today? How's your con going? Oh, really good. We're yeah, good. we're doing great. Doing great. Because of the pandemic, you know, staying at home, everyone's just kind of getting back out there. What's been your experience as cosplayers, congoers, kind of getting back into that into that convention groove? Well, really, this is our first convention, I think, since the pandemic. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's been quite a while for all of us. So I think this is, like, the start of getting back into the groove. I guess they do uh, more cosplay stuff online and social media. I really don't. I am pretty much only go to the events to do it. But uh, I think, yeah, it's really just kind of starting, just kind of waiting for things to get back started again right. and really excited to get back into it. Yeah, uh, I, I think, like, when the day starts at the convention, like, you're a little bit nervous because of the huge pandemic and you haven't spoken to anyone forever. But we've just kind of, like, every time we got stopped, we would talk to people. And so we just kind of... We got right back into it. <laughs> so, Sexy Thor, one thing that I've kind of noticed is, uh, though everyone's certainly thrilled to be out again, there's a bit of apprehension and, uh, I don't want to say really awkwardness, but, uh, well, we've hit up a lot of people for interviews and a lot of people have uh, declined, which has not been the case in the past. Yeah, and no, I think it's just a lot of people have been... Uh, just recently finally been able to get back in the world and do stuff like this. I mean, that's also similar to the case for you and I, but, you know, I've also had, like, a daytime job where I've been pretty much in person in places for, like, five, six days a week. I 
don't think I've been truly like isolated or sheltering in place since last August. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, as opposed to me, who I've been hiding in the uh, my Dan cave this last year plus, and even for me getting out there, it's been you know kind of kind of you know got to oil the gears, you know, got to got to get back into that groove. Like, hey, this is Dan from the ESO Network. Would you like to lay some words down about your costume, about your experience at SC Comic Con, and all of that, and. So I, I kind of feel that uh, that energy of everyone is still waking up, so to speak, you know? Yeah, exactly. I've noticed just through the course of this day, like your delivery of being like, I'm Dan with ESO Network, so on and so forth, has been like smoothing out as the afternoon has progressed. Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, SC Comic Con is like, uh, it's, almost, it's almost like a cup of coffee, you know, after, <laughs> a, after a long, miserable night. Yes, and of course the adopted and some would say literal birthplace of Thundertop. Yeah, and so where we uh, well, it's where we met Mike Faber in the ESO Network. This is uh, this place has a lot of special special memories for us. Exactly, and even if it's just you know regular times or times like these, it's always it's always great being here. Always great being here. Coming home to SC Comic Con. Exactly. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. And now we're back for the creative outlet, and we are here with comic creator and artist extraordinaire, Monty Moore. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me back. It's always nice to be on the show. Yes, welcome back. You have a new project going. What do you got for us, sir? Yeah, this is uh, uh, Blood and Bullets. It's uh, num- issue number one. It's a 48-page graphic novel, and it's based on a screenplay that has been optioned three or four times that I wrote back in 2000, kind of 10-ish. And I had written another screenplay that a producer was interested in. The producer was a woman and she said, love this idea of the concept of vampires in the old West, a supernatural Western. She said, but I'd love to see uh, a script that was a little more focused on female characters uh, you know, strong female characters as opposed to supporting. And I said, you know what? I think that's such a great idea. I'm going to write a whole new script. So I wrote a whole new different story focusing on all new characters, but still just the same setting. And it was immediately optioned. And an option just means somebody has the ability to go and uh, raise oh, sure. money for sure, it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so she actually did go make several other uh, films, uh, but not this particular one. So much like Loco Hero, which you guys uh, helped me promote uh, this exact same time last year, uh, Blood and Bullets is a 48-page graphic novel that my goal is eventually to use this as a springboard for marketing my stories to Hollywood for streaming content films or TV series. Uh, and so I've broken that screenplay into a two-part, 100-page book. And I've got fantastic artists working on it. New guy I've never worked with before. His name is Silvano Beltramo. Great name. <laughs> he's wow. Italian. And he's a machine. Since Christmas, not only has he already drawn the, the complete story and finished two months ago, 
He's actually about 10 pages away from finishing the second issue already. Wow. Okay. I know. I'm like, dude, you've done 90 pages of high quality. I mean, you're talking to an illustrator. Like if I I don't like something or a hand is wrong, I'm going to say something. Uh, And uh, my same colorist is on Loco uh, from Loco Hero. Mm -hmm. His name's Sean Callahan. And uh, he's from Colorado here where I'm from. And uh, it's gunfights and vampire bites in the old West. And so my, my main uh, hero, his name's Mary Masterson. And uh, she is on the trail of kind of revenge. I don't want to give away too much. Uh, And she has to kind of team up and not happily about it with a American Indian named Blackbird. Uh, And there's, there's some cultural tensions in the story. And there's also uh, some other, um, cultural aspects that have to do with these two um, cultures coming together that are normally at odds very much at this time. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's a book that I feel has as much content and story as it does great art, much like the last project. I've got some great uh, variant cover artists, Jason Metcalf, Stephen B. Scott, uh, Marat Michaels, and I'm waiting for two more, both Sabine Rich and Mark Uzinga. And then, of course, as a writer, creator, artist myself, uh, there's also several cover offerings from myself uh, and backers can get remarks and things like that. So it's a great project. We've hit six stretch goals already. We're just under the 30000 in funding mark. We've got 18 days left. We're at 28, 29000 that we've raised and three hundred and 77 378 backers so i'm super thrilled with the progress but i know that we can do better as well that is awesome that it just looks amazing the the work you've seen we've seen on the kickstarter page and just what you've shown online on facebook and such it's just amazing my friend yeah the art samples look beautiful oh thank you yeah it's a it's a passion project for me and i had another artist on it who flailed around for literally three or four years which stalled the whole thing and i hated to do it but he had 15 16 pages done and i just had to scrap them and start over and that was painful to do i i stayed i stayed in there way too long with my other artists because i just i wanted to give him a chance and i'm so glad that i was introduced to selvano beltramo from richard boom over in the netherlands and uh just an amazing art hookup if that name doesn't say Spaghetti Western for you, nothing does. You <laughs> know, Beltramo, he's got a pencil in each hand. Exactly. <laughs> that is just, it's just amazing. You definitely have to check this out, folks. And so thank you. Tell people how we can get your, you know, the new book. It's, it's awesome. I'm going to, after, as soon as we're done, I'm going to go register for it and everything. It just looks awesome. Oh, great. Yeah. So it's on Kickstarter. As I said, we've got a number of, of link of weeks left, uh, inked.pub slash blood and bullets is the short link. Uh, Or you can just type in blood and bullets or look under graphic novels. Right now it's number seven in graphic novels worldwide in popularity. Uh, So I'm very proud of that. Uh, And anybody can hit me up through um, Instagram or uh, Facebook. If they'd like to just send me a message, I can post a link directly to them. And I'll happy to answer any of their questions and direct them the right way. That sounds awesome, Monty. It is just, so it's just great. And wish you the best of luck. And I'm already looking forward to seeing what number two is going to do for you also. Thank you guys so much. Keep doing all you do for the indie creators and community. Awesome. Let's take a break and we'll then close up the show. 
Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the movie Thunder Force. Thunder Force is a new movie on Netflix. It is a comedic superhero film starring Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy. And to start out, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I was a little skeptical, but I had a lot of fun. It is silly, and it has a great message of friendship in it. It's also filmed in Atlanta, so you get to see one familiar Dragon Con spot being Trader Vix. If you've not seen the movie and do not want to be spoiled, I would skip ahead right now. Okay, you've been warned. Thunder Force is set in Chicago, and it is the story of two friends, Lydia and Emily, who become fast friends after Lydia beats up a bully making fun of Emily. Emily's parents were killed by supervillains, because in this world, those with powers are supervillains. Emily vows to work on what her parents were working on since her parents were scientists, a serum that can give good people powers to fight the miscreants that are terrorizing their city of Chicago. The two, Lydia and Emily, grow into teenagers and get into a really big fight, and then they don't speak until the night of their high school reunion where Lydia, who's played by Melissa McCarthy, decides to go to Emily, Octavia Spencer, her office that she's working in and get her to come to the reunion. Lydia was the wild child kind of screw up out of the group, but she has a really good heart and she ends up while in the office injecting herself with what Emily has been working on and gets super strength. Emily has to finish the injections or something bad could happen to Lydia. Emily then uses the other power she created to give herself invisibility. Her super smart daughter that helps her also ends up saving the day in the end as well. But the two of them create a superhero team that goes off and fights the miscreants. I think one of my favorite things in this movie is the really weird relationship between Lydia and Jason Bateman's character, Jerry, who is a guy with giant crab claws for arms. It gets really weird and really funny, guys. There's some really amusing scenes with these two and... They were some of my favorites of the movie because they're just really funny. So if you want to check this movie out, it is currently on Netflix, and it is a lot of fun to watch if you just want a really cheesy superhero movie to sit down and enjoy that's really funny. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. We want to thank our guests for being here. Channing, we asked you last minute to be here, but you knocked it out of the ballpark, my friend. Hey, just call me Superman. Fresh off the bench. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, now you're in the big league, so it's okay. Oh, called right. you. Do I, get, do I get like a podcasting pin now? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, you have to pass the 10-year mark to get that. It's okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, exactly. So Alex hasn't even gotten that one yet. No, I'm, not, I'm not even expecting one at this point. <laughs> no, exactly. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Um, I still have my group, Black Geeks of Dragon Con. We are waiting to find out if we're going to be in person or virtual, but we're trying to have something planned for either or. Um if anybody cares about my random musings, they can follow me online. I'm at I'm Channing Sherman on Twitter and Instagram. That is awesome. Thank awesome. you, thank you once again. It was great to have you tonight. Thanks. 
And Alex, it was awesome to have you too, also, my friend. This has been a lot of fun uh, and a really nice addition to uh, my viewing history. So, because uh, it was just, it was a movie that I knew about and just never got around to watching. Uh, so, this gave me a great reason to do it, and I loved it. I almost wonder what Ashley would have thought of this one. Yeah, she'd be like, what are you talking about? I saw it in theaters 10 years ago. <laughs> um, I was nine years old, but I saw it. I was nine it. years old, but I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you got to shout out about, sir? Yeah, actually, I do want to give a shout out. I didn't realize that the director of this movie had also done The Kid Who Would Be King. So I actually want to recommend that movie because it's surprisingly good. Um, And it's another one of those ones that, you know, uh, uh, not so much as far as the practical effects are, but it's shot beautifully, has a great story. And it's another one of these, you know, kids who are, from different fields and and it's it's how they work with each other uh in in creating this this new round table so i actually i highly highly recommend it it's one of my favorite films of the year it came out that is awesome that is really i'll really add cool. it to my list as well because i yeah. it's in my wheelhouse but i yeah i it, it slipped through my yeah my you're, you're the king arthur guy come on and for a children's yeah. movie and it's a kid's movie let's just face it it's a kid's movie it's remarkably well done uh and i think a lot of people are gonna be impressed by it yeah. well like it like i said attack was... of the block was not a you know was not a kid's movie at all <laughs> no. it's got kids in it it's got kids uh, in it yeah <laughs> Mm, okay well there you go mr mike we made it through another one my friend we did and as always it's my pleasure anything you want to shout out about sir you know i hate it when my shout outs become uh tributes but um we lost two great uh actors of note uh this past week uh speaking of uh, great british actors um and actresses uh helen mcrory passed away um and way too uh wait she was my age she was born the same year i was um uh and uh look if people don't know the name uh they've seen her um she's been in uh recently she's been in peaky blinders she was in the aforementioned we talked about penny dreadful earlier she was in that uh she's been in the harry potter movies um she, she was, was in, in doctor who she was in doctor who she was in uh, vampires of venice she was in the movie hugo with uh, uh directed by scorsese um she's been in the sherlock holmes movie she's she's been in skyfall she's been in a, so she's been in so she's you know she's done all the british things doctor who sherlock holmes you know james bond she's done all that uh but she's done some great work on her on her own i i shudder to think what this last season of peaky blinders is going to be like without her um, but I shudder to think of what, you know, uh, uh, you know, British acting is going to be like without her. Cause she's just was to me, she was, she was raised the level of everything she was in. And, uh, I, I really am going to miss her. Uh, also we lost, um, uh, Felix Silva. So, um, and this guy, man, if, if you needed somebody in a suit, uh, a little guy in a suit, this was your guy. Cause not only could he wear the suit and just stand, he didn't just stand there. Uh, if you look at the characters he played, whether it was Cousin It from Adam's Family or, you know, Tweaky from dee Buck dee Rogers dee 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 dee. or, um, you know, the Ewok that throws the rock at the, you know, from the, from the, uh, what does he got, the, the hang glider or whatever, the glider, um, yep. or, you know, some many of his other appearances, uh, Dink in Spaceballs, um, you know, he's, he just made an impression 
Um, and that's not easy to do when you're covered up in, in all that costuming and everything. And you're, you're, you know, you're sometimes you're not the main focus of, of the scene, but um, great guy too. I'm going to miss seeing him on the convention circuit. He was always uh, had a smile and a good story to tell on the convention circuit. And uh, yeah, cancer. Cause he they was, took them both out. He was yeah. brilliant in the blackbird. Oh, that is uh that's one of that's I think his list of his favorite movies and why not? Because he's not in full costume. He's just playing a character and it shows you the the range that he had and I wish he had gotten a chance to do that more often. Mm. Yeah. Very much so. Very, very much so. Yeah. Wow, that's a tough one. What? Oh, he was in Kentucky Fred movie. Yeah. Oh. There yeah, you his, his his IMDb page uh, is long. It's it's pretty crazy. Like you sit there and go, okay, Lidsville, I get it. H.R. Puffin, he was in the Kentucky Fred movie. Yep. I think uh, the most surprising thing of all is that he played Lucifer in uh, Battlestar Galactica, and Lucifer's a tall dude. Like, yeah, you're like he's yeah. a tall robot. You're like Felix Sulip. I mean, he must have been on stilts or something. Good God! But uh, uh, man, what a loss. Yeah. Yep, very much so. All right, my shout out real quick. Uh, Judy and I today actually got our second COVID shots. So we are fully vaccinated, folks. So watch out, world. Here we come. Ah. Give it it two weeks. Ha, ha, ha. But, you know, that also doesn't mean that we can go out and just do anything. You know, we're still going to wear our masks. We're still going to stay away from big events and everything. It's still not safe, folks. Even if you get the vaccines, you can still get very sick. And, you know, and those people out there who basically have said, well, I ain't going to get COVID, you know, I'm just going to be, I'll be okay. Get the vaccine. You might feel a little ill the next day or so after it, but consider feeling ill for 24 hours to having COVID, you know, how ill you'll feel. People who get COVID a lot of times don't fully recover. They don't feel a hundred percent ever again. So, you know, this is, this is not the truth. Me just speaking off the top of my head. This is fact. Look it up online, folks. This is, you know, this is, you know, smart thinking. And over the weekend, Judy and I were away and we saw way too many people without masks, without, you know, just walking like things were normal. And, you know, I saw cons that, you know, and it's just, I don't want to get into that because people I love were at these shows or at these Mm -hmm. events and stuff. And it's their personal choice. This is my personal choice. I decided to get vaccinated for myself and Judy and also for everybody else. Mm -hmm. This is what you have to do. And I'm not trying to get political, not like that at all. It shouldn't be political. It's not, it shouldn't be a political question. I know that it is, but it shouldn't be. Well, this is is just science. One of the best memes I've seen online, I actually, Judy showed it to me today. And he said, and said, you remember growing up when you had to get your polio vaccine? No, you didn't because your parents got vaccinated and, you know, and it's true. And it's, it could be, it's the same thing. Stop being pigheaded folks, you know, just, you know, for folks in Atlanta, um, Mercedes Benz is now doing walk up. Yep. They're, and they're, they, I just was literally reading what between breaks on the show because I would never surf the internet or anything no, while no, we're yeah. talking. Or anything. No, yeah. you're no. all the time. You're always a hundred percent. I'm yeah. riveted to this show. I'm riveted to each one. You're of committed, them. man. Or at exactly. least you should be. I should yeah. be committed, but that's a whole different story. But um, 
it's they're opening six new sites around the North Georgia area where you could just walk up to get your vaccine. And come on, folks, there's no more excuses. There really isn't. And, yeah. you know, just take care of yourself. That's all I'm going to say. So, you know, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now. So well, I'll, I'll jump on one. Um, go for I, it, Channing. I'm a youngish, in quotes. Um, you're, you're, the, you're the youngish person here, I can yeah. guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so young African-American male, also science. It is hitting minority communities harder and we need to get the vaccine. I know there is a stigma um, among people of color when it comes to healthcare and the government. I get that, but this is a matter of public safety. This isn't a political thing. Um, my parents are both in their 80s, so they're in that high risk group too. I got the vaccine because I would like to go visit them again at some point in time, even though my mom is just going to remind me that I'm still not married, but I still want to go visit her to give her that opportunity. So she should I give you last that. year as a, as, as a gimme. As a gimme. You know uh, what? I might bring that up. You know, 2020, <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, so yeah, definitely everybody should get the vaccine, but especially if you're any kind of minority or person of color, black, Latinx, whatever you describe yourself as, get the vaccine and let's try and make the world a little bit better place. And put the mask over your nose. Yes. Oh, God, yes. Just wear your mask properly. Wearing it below your nose is not really wearing it. It's or a chin guard or... <laughs> or what did South Park called it? A chin diaper? Yeah. Yes, yeah. So, you know, it does happen. Ugh. But uh, on to bigger and better things, folks. That's all we have to say. Join us again next week when we are going to be talking all about, you ready for this? Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's over. That's right. It's come to a close. So we have a conclusion. So Earth Station One is going to be there to talk all about it. So it should be a lot of fun to chat about the show, have a great crew already lined up for it. But, you know, definitely would love to hear from you. Please write us at feedback at earthstation1.com. Let us know what your thoughts are on it. If you, you know, write us before next Monday, which is Monday, today is the 19th, so that would be the 25th. If you write us then, you know, basically, you know, let us know what you thought. We'll read it up on the air. We'd love to get some thoughts. I'm really still would. from Mephisto. Oh, please. <laughs> You're going to be waiting for quite some time. <laughs> I'm I'm waiting for Steve Rogers to show up in the final scene young again or something like that. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, wait a minute, you know. Playing Mephisto. Playing Mephisto. Yes. Yes. Right. Mephisto yes. There yes. you go. Mephisto shows up as young Steve Rogers yes. and gets the shield, and that's the first step. But he changes the shield, so it's got like a pitchfork on it. Exactly. And then he <laughs> then he says flame on, right? <laughs> Oops, wrong movie. Sorry there. Wrong universe. But it should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music and Audible. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. We're not too proud to beg for listeners. We've been doing it for 11 years. We're not going to stop now. My knees hurt. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Michael Gordon, Channing Sherman, Alex Autry, 
Thanks again for listening. We will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Stay safe. Hug your loved ones. Get vaccinated. Peace. And we are done. Michael, go ice your knees now. (laughs) (laughs) The amount of tongue biting that was going on there. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.